Welcome to Bethel World Outreach Church. Our values are devotion, diversity, and discipleship. Devotion through honoring God by trusting His Word, praying, and worshiping together. Diversity by embracing God's heart for every nation. And discipleship by helping others follow Jesus. So join us as we're reaching a city to touch the world. Jehovah Jireh, our provider, you are a good provider. We will not call not enough. What you have said is enough. We are so satisfied in your presence. And keep us there this morning as we turn to your word. We pray that you would give us the bread of life that satisfies the soul. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. That's good worship, yes? You know, we're singing about the Lord being enough, and I will be content in every circumstance, satisfied, gyra, more than enough, more than enough. If you're new here at Bethel, you might have been looking around thinking, these people are a little bit strange. They seem a little bit too happy. Uh, they're too excited about this. They're excited about, you know, they're excited in a way that you might not have seen except at a concert or at a party over things that wouldn't happen in church. I mean, we're not supposed to have fun in church, right? Isn't that the rule? Is anybody here? We're not, we're not supposed to have fun in church. Is that the rule? No. We enjoy church. We love church. We love worshiping the Lord. We love settling into his presence. That may be new for you. That may be strange to you. As a matter of fact, it wouldn't be strange if that was strange to you. There's a very different world right outside these doors. It's as if we just walked from that world into a different space and a world opened up in front of our sanctified imaginations. We saw elders casting down their crowns in front of the throne. We saw the, we saw the Holy One of God lifted up. And we saw the worthiness of His holiness and we were swept up into that joy. It's a different space out there, isn't it? This is a foretaste of what will be there. Uh, and I want to give you just a, even a, a little starker contrast, if you don't mind. Thank you, Pastor Will. Appreciate it. I want to give you a starker contrast of the difference in the sounds that you hear here than you hear out there. There was a song written in 1965, one of the most beloved songs that's hit the rock charts, the pop charts since then. It was covered in 1967 by this artist. This is my favorite version. So I could play the original version, but I want to play you my my version, my favorite version, because I'm the one here right now. So if you have a different version, that's up to you. But this is my favorite version. It's been uh, covered by 351 different artists that I was able to count. I stopped counting. 351 different artists since then have covered this song in a published, able-to-be-purchased format. Who knows how many have covered it in other ways. But I want you to just get the feel of the contrast. It's a fun feel, but it's a different feel. Would you play that for me? Come on. <laughs> and I tried and I tried. Yeah, I can't get no, you say it? I can't get no, but I've tried and I've tried and I've tried and I've tried. Aretha Franklin's great version of that. I just, it, it gets me wanting to move, but there's something going on there, right? Why is that song so beloved? Why does that speak to this culture so deeply? Why do we want to repeat it so often? Why have so many artists, not just for the sake of money, we're spending the money. Why are we spending the money on that song? 
because we can't get no satisfaction. We keep trying and we try and we try. I know I know some original meanings of the song, but it's gone far beyond original meanings where it's become this sort of, it, it speaks what many in our culture feel. I can't find satisfaction, but I keep trying. Let me play a different song for you. A little bit later on, it doesn't have satisfied in the title, but in many ways it's the same sentiment. See if you recognize this one. Now we saw some different heads bob. At first, you know, we saw some, right? It's a diverse church. Now we saw some different heads bob. I joked with the first crowd. I didn't see it this time. I was looking for it. I just didn't catch you. I know you're out there. There's some white man underbite going on somewhere in the room. I saw it in the first service. Actually, it happened. Somebody physically back there in the back row. But I still haven't found what I'm looking for. Now, I know that you two has a certain way of thinking about that song. But our culture has a very different way of thinking about that song. And the reasons for that song being written have changed, right, in terms of how people sing it. People haven't found what they've been looking for. But they keep going many miles and many journeys and climbing these city walls, and I still haven't found what I'm looking for. We are unsatisfied as a culture. And we have more than any other culture has ever had in the history of the world. And yet we are unsatisfied. Not only are we unsatisfied, we're scared we never will be. That's when it gets down to the root of it. That not only am I not satisfied today, not only is what I received earlier and experienced early not fully satisfied, some itch inside of me, I'm afraid I never will find something that will fully satisfy me. And I think that's why Jesus says what he says in Matthew chapter 6, verse 25. If you have your Bibles, pull them out. Turn to that first gospel in the New Testament. About two-thirds of the way through the Bible. If you hit Mark, you've gone a little too far. If you're in funny-looking names that you don't know how to pronounce, you're not far enough. Matthew chapter 6. Pull your Bible out or turn it on if that's the version you have. Turn your Bible on. Matthew 6, 25. If you don't have one, it will be on the screen. Therefore, I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will wear. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to your life? And why are you anxious about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon, in all his glory, was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is alive and tomorrow is thrown into the oven... Will he not much more clothe you? (laughs) You have little faith. Therefore, do not be anxious, saying what we shall eat or what we shall drink or what we shall wear. For the Gentiles seek after these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. 
Therefore, do not be anxious about tomorrow, for tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. That's the word of the Lord. And when we read this passage, we often read it thinking it's about being anxious or worried, but there's something deeper going on here. He's talking about food and drink and clothing. He gives specific examples of worry, not just worry about anything and everything, food and drink and clothing. Why these things? What do they symbolize? First, worry over food and drink. The first question that might be coming with food and drink is, will I survive? That's the first question. Will I survive? Now, food insecurity is still an issue today. I know many of you in this room may not be facing that, but food insecurity is still an issue, and it's not just an issue somewhere. It's an issue here in this metro area. Not very far from here, children are growing up wondering where the next meal is coming from. I really rejoice, by the way, what this church does to help in that direction. When you're giving to the Benevolence Fund and we're able to help give, put food into people's pantries and we're able to help stock the shelves of, of, of food pantries, when we're able to go feed the homeless on Tuesday nights and some of you go Tuesday nights to the, to the downtown square and when I've seen you there, that gives me such joy to see you feeding those who are experiencing homeless. that's homelessness. That's not just a some other time, some other place issue. That's a right now issue. That's a today issue. But for you, those of you sitting here, and I'm looking at you, not, not, you know, some of you don't look hungry. I'm just going to, not in that kind of way. I'm just going to say it. You know what I'm saying? You look like you're doing just fine. If, if I know I'm going to survive, what's the next layer down? What's the next question? Will I be hungry? Will I be thirsty? That's the next level down. Will I survive or will I be hungry or thirsty? So I know I'm going to survive, but am I going to have that gnawing feeling for a little while? And then a little bit below that, when I know where my food's going to come from, will life be good? Because that's the deeper question that all of those have in it. Food and drink are one of the best ways we have to enjoy life. It's fun to eat together with people you love and you enjoy. It's fun to try new foods. It's, trun- it's, it's an enjoyable activity. Just to, just to say a side little note, God could have made food nasty. This is one, to me, this is one of the greatest signs that we serve a good God. He, he didn't make food nasty. It could have been nasty, but we knew we had to eat it like taking a pill every day. I got to take my pill. Oh, this is disgusting. Pa- pass the piece. piece of, oh, another piece. Oh, this is nasty. He made it good. It is supposed to be something we enjoy life with. But we're asking, will my life be good? Have you ever wondered, you know, you watch your, bu- your grocery budget and your eating out budget. It keeps going up and 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 up. And then you start to go, well, it's not that you're worried about not having food, you're worried that you might not have as good a food as you would like to enjoy. Are you with me? Next. Will life be good enough? Once we have good food and we have plenty of good food, we're not worried about being hungry or thirsty or surviving. We're often asking, will life be good enough? Good enough for what? Good enough for me to feel like it's a good life, like I'm really enjoying it, like everything seems to be full. I'm not just satisfied. I'm enjoying everything, right? So we're worried, Jesus is telling us, about having a good life. That's what food symbolizes. Not that any of you here are worried about that. Well, some people do. I do. But probably not you. 
Next, worry about clothes. What are we talking about when we talk about a worry about clothes? What questions are we asking? What are we worried about? First of all, it's will I be comfortable? Clothes are just a, a, a first line of defense against the harshness of the environment, the changing of temperatures. I've watched some of you. It's a little bit cold in here this morning. You're putting on coats. You're grabbing little sweaters. You're wrapping the shawl around, right? It's a little bit chillier. The clothes give you a protection layer against fluctuations in temperature or the UV rays coming down so that you don't, now some of us burn a lot faster than others, you know, right here. This is like a solar panel. It just soaks up everything in it. We've got to have a handle. It protects us against the harshness of our environment. Will I be comfortable? But if I have enough clothes to be comfortable, next layer down, will I be attractive? You know that clothes aren't just about you being comfortable or that outfit or two would be just enough. I wear this outfit while I'm washing and drying the other one. Then I wear the other one while I'm washing and drying this one. That would be enough. If all you needed was comfort, you wouldn't have that closet. You're asking, will I be attractive? And many of you ask that this morning, even though you're not trying to be attractive to anybody in general, you just don't want to be ugly, right? I'm not the only one who did it, right? Honey, do these shoes work even with this? I mean, this kind of got a little blue tone. Is it black? Is black? Some of you say black. If I think it works, does this work? You don't want to be ugly. Will I be attractive? Uh, Next layer down, will I be wanted? Why do we want to be attractive? Because every single one of us longs to be wanted by others. Whether we realize it or not, we're longing to be wanted by other people. We're longing to be accepted. We're longing to be respected. We're longing to be treated with dignity. And clothing often is a way that we seek to achieve that. It's just a symbol, and it multiplies out into other things. So in that way, clothing is a symbol of how we do our hair, what kind of car we drive, and all the other many ways that we try to somehow be attractive to others because we want to be wanted. And then the last layer down is, will I be wanted not just by anybody, but by them? And I don't know who your them is, but you know who your them is. Will I be wanted by them? Sure, this looks nice enough to you, but does it look nice enough for them? Sure, you'll accept me in this, but will they accept me in this? Do you see how deep Jesus is teaching us going? And he's just being so simple and so clear and so earthy with it. We're worried we won't be satisfied with life. We're worried our life won't be good enough. We're worried we won't be wanted enough. We're worried about all kinds of things, and it's all coming down to the fact that we're not sure we're ever going to be satisfied with the way life goes. Why is it so hard to be satisfied? (laughs) Have you ever asked that? Why is it so hard to have satisfaction that lasts? You see, when I dead ended this verse, and I see this verse about don't be anxious, I think, uh, you know, it's easy to say don't worry to somebody, but that never really helps, does it? If you're worrying and you're deeply worrying about something, does it help you when somebody walks into the room and says, would you stop worrying? Just cut it out. Just stop it. Quit it. Oh, I feel better now. I I feel better. Yeah, I'm not not worried at all now just because you said that. No. So why? Jesus has to go a little bit deeper for us than to just say, don't worry, doesn't he? He does. Don't worry. He does. Why is it so hard to be satisfied? 
if you look in the passage that we read, it says, do not be anxious, do not be anxious, do not be anxious three times. It is talking about anxiety. But the first word it says before it says, do not be anxious, every single time is a little word you always read past in your Bible that you shouldn't. Therefore, verse 25, therefore I tell you, do not be anxious about your life. Therefore, a little farther down, therefore, do not be anxious about your life. And then again in verse 34, therefore, do not be anxious about tomorrow. The word therefore is a word that points backwards. This is the old preacher's phrase. If you read the word therefore, you should look backwards to see what it's there for. It's cheesy, but you'll remember it. Whenever you're reading in your Bible and you see a therefore, read backwards to find what it's there for. Because what came before it is the cause of what comes after it or the reason for the answer that comes after it. So Jesus is pointing back to his teaching. If we look back a few verses, we look back into Matthew 16, 19, we start to see why it's so hard to be satisfied. Number one, everything fades. Everything fades. Do not lay up for yourself treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy. Matthew 6, 19a. Do not set up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy. You know that favorite sweater you had last year and you're going to pull it out pretty soon when fall really starts to kick in and you're going to see all those little holes in it. You're going to go right back out and buy some cedar blocks and whatever else you need to throw in there. Do you remember those old mothballs? It makes everything stink so bad. Can we get a better solution? It just, you don't want to smell like that. You don't want to smell like you're 105. Okay, are those mothballs keeping away moths, or are they preserving you? I don't, you know, I don't know. We've got to find a better. But moths eat stuff. That's what they do. Rust, anything metal, anything that can corrode, corrodes everything, Jesus is saying. These are just metaphors. Everything corrodes. Everything decays. Everything diminishes. Everything fades. You buy a new pair of clothes that you're so excited about. It's so vibrant. It's so beautiful. It looks like it's such good material. Wash it four times. Wash it four times and it's already beginning to fade and the edges are beginning to fray. You think, I need a new outfit. That's looking a little worn. That's, that's kind of a little used. I'm not going to maybe look the bit. You've only worn it four times. Everything fades. It's not just clothes, but the, the experience of a good meal with people. That experience fades. How many of you had this happen recently in your home over the weekend or over a holiday? You have lunch and you've just finished lunch and somebody, maybe even you, says, hey, hey what's for dinner? We just said, we just had lunch. It was what's for dinner. And then you have dinner and somebody says, hey, is there any dessert? You knew it. I knew there was some people in here. Is there any dessert? Should we keep the spoon? <laughs> you know, is there anything coming? And then after dessert is done, you got your company or your family or whatever. You go into the living room. You're going to watch a movie. We're going to have any snacks. We got any popcorn or anything. We just ate dinner. And then we had dessert. You are not physically hungry. It's not possible. But it's already faded. You see? It's already faded. Everything fades. Brand new car fades. Nice big house fades. A job that you thought you were going to be excited about fades. A new successful promotion fades. Everything fades in this life. That's why it's hard to be satisfied. It doesn't last. Number two, nothing is secure. I see, I'm here to encourage you today. You're feeling encouraged, but this is already lifting up. This is a lot of joy in the room now. I took all that joy to dig a boom balloon and pop, right? 
Sorry, it's the scripture. Matthew 6, 19 says, do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. Nothing is secure. Well, how can I say that? You build a bigger safe. That's just a bigger challenge, right? There's some thieves that aren't motivated by greed. They're motivated by the challenge, right? That's how we have Oceans 11 and 12 and 13. Oceans 27 is coming soon probably. But it's more than just thieves. Thieves are a symbol. If you've saved up all of your money and put it into a bank that wasn't bearing interest, you know what would happen, right? As soon as you put that money that's not bearing much interest into a bank, inflation's already eroding at its value the next day. Like waves on the shore carrying sand away, the value of your treasures is being carried away by inflation immediately. It's already beginning to fade, it's already beginning to become insecure, you're losing value. And if you put it in the stock market, you've watched it happen, the stock market can drop 30% over the course of a month. You've watched it happen in your lifetime twice, bang, and there it goes. And, but you need it right then, and so you have to spend it, so not only do you lose 30% of the value, then you spend more of it, it begins to diminish it, it's not secure. It's even more insecure than you already realize. Listen, every single nation that has ever existed has fallen. Every empire in the history of the world has toppled. This empire will topple. If the Lord delays, it will fall. That's not a question mark. That's just going to happen. Now, I hope it doesn't happen in my lifetime or my kid's lifetime or my grandkid's lifetime. I'm going to keep betting on America because so far it's been a good bet. And if everything else goes, if everything just falls apart, it's going to fall apart for everybody. So I'm just going to keep investing. I'm not going to be dumb. But it's not secure, and I know it's not. I know it's not. And if the Lord removes his hand from protection of this nation any minute, it's gone. Uh, We've watched it happen in other countries where the price of a loaf of bread today, what a loaf of bread costs today, it'll cost what a car costs today in just a few months when that happens. You'll spend the price of a car for a loaf of bread. You know why? Because you'll be asking the question, will we survive? How is he able to say, don't worry, Pastor Dave? I thought you were saying, you know, what are you doing here? Well, there's very good reason we can't find satisfaction. There's very good reason we're worried about it. There's a third reason. Fear of tomorrow diminishes our joy for today. This reality that Jesus is laying out for us actually is the reason we're scared. It's a good reason. But our fear then that comes up within us diminishes the joy that we could have today otherwise. Our worry, our anxiety diminishes the joy that we could have in the things that will fade, yes, but they're here right now. And that is why we're not satisfied. Matthew 6, 25 again then says, Therefore I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body, what you put on. Is not life more than food? And the body more than clothing. He's trying to talk to us about the fact that there is more life for us than we're aware of, and yet anxiety is still speaking to us its own words. Let me give you one of the things about anxiety you need to know. Anxiety promises more life, but instead it takes life away. This is the first part of Jesus' answer. 
Anxiety promises more life, but it actually takes it away. Look in verse 27. And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to his span of life? So when something doesn't go right, this is what we naturally do as human beings. Like say we threw a party and the party didn't go exceedingly well. The balloons weren't there or the cake fell or whatever else happened. This is what we start to think. You know what? I need to worry about that better next time. Now we don't say that consciously, but that's what we're doing subconsciously. If I would just worry about it a little bit better, the next time things would go better. I didn't worry about that well enough. If I worry about it well enough and often enough and extensively enough so that I comprehensively cover everything, my worry will eventually level itself up to the uh, sovereign control over all of the situations. And once I've worried well enough and comprehensively enough, I'll have handled all of the extensive circumstances and I'll keep things from going badly, right? In other words, worry makes us think we can fix stuff. That's the promise it gives us. And worry tells us that we can add to our life somehow by worrying. How many of you have been worried about dying young, if you were honest? Yeah, lots of you everywhere. And is that increasing your lifespan? (laughs) No. Actually, studies have told us that if you're perpetually filled with anxiety, you're more likely to die young. You're more likely to have cancer you're more likely to have heart disease, and this is the striking, shocking one, you're more likely to die in a car accident. Why? You're not fully present. You're worried about other stuff. And I am happen to be driving behind you. <laughs> Stop that. <laughs> I don't want to die young. You're making me worried. <laughs> Anxiety always breaks its promise. Anxiety always breaks its promise. It's promising you it'll be better next time if you just worry better. It's promising you that you'll be able to hold everything together if you work harder up here and spin those wheels harder. And it doesn't work. It wears you out. It's actually extracting life from you, not giving life back to you. The first part of Jesus' answer to you today is to tell you, look, anxiety always breaks its promises. I never do. Anxiety always breaks its promises. Jesus never does. The second part of his answer to point to the problem, really, it's a diagnosis. Matthew 6.33 says this, therefore do not, uh, 34, I'm sorry, uh, no, it is 33, but seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things will be added to you. They're going to come anyway, but here's the thing. Remaining anxious about things that will not remain is a trap. That's a mental loop. I'm going to say it to you again so you can get it. Remaining anxious about things that will not remain is a trap. Remaining anxious about things that are going to fade and are insecure is a trap. And you're going to keep yourself in that spinning wheels motion nonstop, never able to get anywhere because you're stuck in the trap of staying anxious about stuff that won't last anyway. The only thing that's lasting for you while you're in that trap is your anxiety. So stop doing that, Jesus says, with compassion, because it's not going to satisfy you. We're almost to the good news. Do you want it? (laughs) I kind of do. Like, this is the most depressing preacher I've ever met. That's what I want to say back to myself. Get a smile on your face. Goodness sakes. Tell you about me. Testify. I'll put up on a screen just so you can see if it's you too. I want to be satisfied. I want my satisfaction to last. And I want to die satisfied. Do you? 
I do want to be satisfied. I'm a human being just like anybody else. I want my satisfaction to last. I'm a human being just like anybody else. But I want to die satisfied. I don't want it to end too early. I want to go to my deathbed satisfied. If God gives me the grace to know that death is coming, he doesn't always. Sometimes it just comes. I want to lay my head down on that final pillow, and if I feel that death rattle in my chest like I've felt in other people's chests as they've been passing, I want to have my loved ones close to me, and I want to be able to look them in the eye and say, we had a really good thing, didn't we? (laughs) This has been good. It's been a good life. I love you. I've enjoyed your love, and all of this was worth it. I'm good. Don't worry. I'm really good. And I want to be able to say goodbye. Satisfied. Don't you? How do we do it? Jesus gives us four ingredients, I think, to a satisfied life in this passage, but they come before the one we often quote. Those therefores are pointing way back. So let me turn you back to the beginning of the chapter in chapter six. Number one, quietly meet other people's needs. Matthew six, two through four, quietly meet other people's needs. When you give to the needy, sound no trumpet before you as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and in the streets, that they may be praised by others truly. I say to you, they've received their reward, and that reward's fading, I'm just going to tell you. But when you give to the needy, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing, so that your giving may be in secret. And your Father who sees in secret will reward you. Quietly, secretly meet other people's needs. That sounds simple, doesn't it? There's actually nothing more satisfying for me than quietly and secretly doing something for somebody else I know they need. It lasts longer than food. It lasts longer than a new outfit. It lasts longer than a new job. It lasts longer than a new house. (laughs) When you've done something for somebody else and you've truly met their need, it's deeply satisfying. I I can't think of anything more satisfying than some of those things. I don't want to camp on it too much. But when you're giving sacrificially and you think about what that giving is doing, I hope that brings you deep satisfaction. I love the fact that we're helping people with their utility bills and their mortgage payments so they don't become homeless here. I love the fact that we're feeding people. I love the fact that we're discipling kids. I love the fact that the kids who don't feel like they have a stable home have a spiritual family that is giving them a stable place of love. I love the fact that when we give to this place, it's giving to many people. Don't you? But I also want to be face-to-face doing things that I can do. I don't want to just count on what everybody else is doing. I don't want to just send a check at a problem. I want to be there because something deeply satisfying happens for me when I help meet somebody else's need. And what I always tell somebody when I'm helping them in a way only I can do uniquely, I have some unique gifts that only I really know how to do, I always tell them, don't you dare tell a soul. Don't tell anybody. That's all I ask of you. Why? Because then I know it's set aside for me. Do you see? It lasts when it's set there. Two, rewire your desires in prayer. Matthew 6, 9 through 13. Rewire your desires in prayer. Jesus goes straight from giving to the needy to telling them how to pray. There's a reason for that. When you tell someone to give to the needy, it automatically hits up against their selfish desires. Give to the needy, I'm not yet satisfied. What what do you mean give to the needy? I can't, I'm the one with needs here. I got a lot of needs. Can I just tell you some of my needs? 
it automatically hits up against our selfishness. So Jesus turns us to, to the Lord's Prayer. The Lord's Prayer isn't just words you say, it's a way you live. It's words you pray with concepts behind them and you try to work your way into those concepts so that you actually start to live according to those concepts. So you say, our Father in heaven, you are actually my true satisfaction. And glorifying your name, hallowed be your name, is my greatest joy. Your kingdom come, not my kingdom come, your kingdom come. I'm not trying to build my life and my house, etc., etc., etc. Your kingdom come. Rewire your desires in prayer. As the more you rewire your desires in prayer, the more you'll be able to give to the needy, the more you'll be satisfied. Three, deny yourself for a purpose. In Matthew 6, 16 through 18, Jesus talks about fasting, and usually we think about not eating a meal, and that's one way to do it. But there are many ways to deny yourself, to give up something so that you can do something for someone else, to give up something so that you can pray more, so that you can rewire your heart, so that you can do something for someone else. Think about it this way. It may seem like a small thing to fast, but if you fasted one meal a week, just one, and you were going to go to McDonald's, I know that made several of you sad and three of you happy. Uh, if, but if you're going to go to McDonald's, and so there's like a $6 meal, and you fasted for one meal a week, every week for a year, that's 52 times, that's $312, I think. Is that right? $312 that you would have to give to those who have greater need. I promise you, $312 putting food on somebody else's table that doesn't have food will satisfy you longer than a meal at McDonald's. I promise you that. It will satisfy you. So give, uh, meet other people's needs quietly. Rewire your desires in prayer. Deny yourself for a purpose. Number four, set your eyes on eternity. Matthew 6, 19 through 21 says this. Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy. You've heard this. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys, where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Where your treasure is, there you will be satisfied also. Where your treasure is, that's where your longings will be directed. It doesn't fade there. It's secure there. So put your treasures there. I'm not saying you can't have treasures here. That's fine. They're just going to fade and they're insecure and they won't satisfy you. But whatever you need, want to do, whatever you need to do in your life, that's fine. Whatever God leads you to do, that's fine. I have no judgment for anybody on their lifestyle. Zero. Don't care. I don't care about what's here. What's there? I hope you have more there than you have here. Proverbs tells us that when we give to the poor, we lend to the Lord and he will repay us. And he's got the best interest rate anywhere. And it compounds for all of eternity. It compounds for all of eternity. Listen, this life is like this. It's going like this. That's how long it lasts. Well, let me give you the final point, the most important point. If you missed everything else, catch this. If hope for eternity controls us, this is Jesus' solution, I believe, if hope for eternity controls us, fear of tomorrow cannot. If hope for eternity controls us, fear of tomorrow cannot. It's like driving one nail over the top of another. It punches the other nail out. They, can, they can't occupy the same space at the same time. When hope for eternity completely controls us, 
not just every once in a while moves us. When hope for eternity controls us, fear of tomorrow cannot. That's not where my hope is. That's not where my longing is. That's not where my expectation is. That's not where I'm expecting to be satisfied. If I suffer tomorrow, that's fine. All the more going up for me in glory. If I lose something here, I'll deal with it. It'll hurt. I'll cry. I'm human. But I'm putting something up there. This life lasts this long. The next life just keeps going. And the next life eclipses this life in the first blink of eternity. The only reason Christianity makes sense is the resurrection of Jesus Christ. The only reason what we do makes sense is the resurrection that's to come for us. The only hope we actually have that can last is that when we do lay our heads down on our deathbed pillow, we have satisfaction looking us straight in the eye with a party ready to welcome us home, with eternal riches you can't even imagine. Everything we could possibly have will fade in an instant. Why would I even chase that, you'll say? And I'm not just the one saying it. Everybody who's died and come back and said that you won't believe what I just saw, they're telling us that. They go flatline and they come back and tell us what's waiting for us there. Would you stand with me? I have more I wish I could say, but you know, we get to come back next week and next week and next week and next week. God has more to do for us, right? I really believe. I really believe that if we're halfway controlled by this thing we call Christianity, we're the most miserable people in the world. It's miserable. But if we're controlled by this thing we call Christianity and the hope that comes with us, we're the happiest people you'll ever meet. <laughs> would you bow your heads with me? I think some of you here today would say, you know what, Dave, I, I gave my life to Christ, but it's gotten worse, not better, and this is why. You just named it for me. I'm not all the way controlled by this. You know, you, you can say Jesus is Lord. You can lie in a prayer just like you can lie to a friend. And coming into a church every week of your life doesn't make you a Christian even more than sitting in a garage makes you a car. You've heard that one. You're not a car just because you sat in a garage every week. You're not a Christian just because you came to church. Some of you, I believe, here are saying today, you know what? I have not been giving my life over to the Lord. I've been giving lip service. I've been every once in a while moved, but I haven't given him my life and I'm completely unsatisfied. Would you bow your heads with me and pray? Every head bowed, nice closed all around. If that's you and you say, you know, I'm a believer. I think I'm a believer, but here I am saying, I'm not really all the way in. I'm unsatisfied. This message was for me today. I needed to hear this message today. Would you just raise your hand up to the Lord to confess it to him? And I want to pray for you. I see you. I'm looking over to the right now. I see you all over. Yeah, praise God. All the way up in the back on the right. I see you. Yep. Looking in the middle. I see you. I see you, sister. You can put your hand down. Yep. I see you up front. Looking in the back. Yeah, I see you waving. <laughs> I see you, big hand, man. I see you. You can put it down. In the left. Yeah. Oh, my goodness. Praise the Lord. I'm so glad you came today, each of you. The Lord has something he wants to do in your heart and life all the way in the back. I see you, friend. Would you just pray something uh, like this in, in your own, own private chambers of your heart to the Lord? Lord, I haven't been fully given over to you. 
but I want to be. I don't even know how to be, but I believe you can make me that way. I'm giving my life to you. Not in part, but in whole. And in this moment, maybe for the first time, I believe you're the only way I'll be finally satisfied. So Jesus, you are my Lord. My life is no longer my own. I don't want to play a game anymore. I'm all in. If you prayed that prayer, I'd like you to ask the Lord to reveal to you in your mind. He'll bring things to mind, the first steps for you. It may be talking to a person. It may be asking someone to pray for you. It may be making a confession. It may be a gift you need to give. It may be an hour you need to serve in a certain way. I don't know. He'll bring things to mind. Listen to what he brings to mind and pay attention to it and do it. Or this will fade too. I believe there's some others in the room, though, that you would say, you know what, I've never been a believer. I don't even know why I'm here today. My friend brought me, or you stumbled in here, or you were absolutely desperate, and this is the last place you'd want to be, but every other place kind of let you down, and here you are. And you've never given your life to the Lord. Every head bowed, nice closed. I do mean that, please. If that's you today, and you say, boy, this is scaring the life out of me, Dave. What am I doing? But you know something's moving inside of you. That's not me. That's the Holy Spirit. That's the Holy Spirit. He's alive and well, and he's moving in this place. If that's you, I just want you to raise your hand to the Lord to say, you know, I feel you, Lord, and I'm here, and I'm ready to give in. I'm ready to give in. I'm tired. I'm tired of running. I'm worn out, and I'm ready to give in. Just slip your hand up to him. I'm looking over here to the right. I see you. I see you, both of you. I see you. Yeah, I see you there in the middle of the top. I see you. Praise God. Thank you for doing that, sir. I know that took great courage for you. On the left. Yeah, I see you, ma'am. I see you. Praise God. Yep, I see you. Put your hands down and I've seen you. I just want to pray with you. If that's you, Lord, just, just pray this in your heart to the Lord. You can say it out loud or you can say it, in a, it quietly in your mind. He can, he can read your thoughts, believe it or not. <laughs> Hasn't he been speaking to you today? He can read your thoughts. Just say, God, I'm sorry for the sinful way I've lived. I feel your conviction. And I receive it. Will you please forgive me? Jesus, I want you to be the Lord of my life. I'm not even sure all that that means, but I want you to help me to know what it means. I want you to be my master. I want you to be in charge. If you're scared, tell him that. He'll bring peace. Ask him to cleanse you from the inside out. Ask him to fill you with his Holy Spirit so that you'll be able to live a life you couldn't live otherwise. And ask him to give you courage to take the first steps today. And then tell him, Lord, I receive your forgiveness. I don't reject it. And I trust your word that I will be saved. 
Scripture says if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Tell him that you believe his word, that you will be saved. And ask him to set your eyes on eternity.